We got Olivet in the house today, huh? Yeah. Is it me? The older I get, the younger they look. It must be me, I'm sorry. We have pretty important information given to us in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. Seven specific churches are written. And for us, they represent the churches of all time. Sadly, of the seven, five weren't very good. Five got warnings, two were praised. The two that were praised is Samaria and Philadelphia. The church at Samaria was a persecuted church. The church at Philadelphia was known for evangelizing. It was a soul-winning church. These two characteristics might be what preserve the church today. If a church is persecuted, it remains pure. The impurities drop out. The, the weak drop out. You won't identify with a church that's persecuted unless you're really committed to Christ. And likewise, evangelism also purifies the believers in the church. As long as you're really committed to, to reach the lost, eh, unless you're there, you tend to be indifferent. The church at Philadelphia, evangelizing, open door, Samaria, tested by the fire of persecution. God blesses them both. And we're going to get back to them. But let's look at the five churches that had problems. Let's look at the five churches with a warning. Particularly the order they're in. It's, it's not just haphazard. It creates a narrative. That's why these were the churches that were chosen to write to. These are not the only churches in, in the first century. They're chosen specifically, the order specific, because it's a story. It's a narrative. And, and we got, got to go back quite a few months when we talked about uh, spiritual warfare. There was an angel over this church. The angel of real life community. We talked about the warfare. So for each of these seven churches, the, the, the note begins, to the angel of the church of, here's what I want you to write. The church, the first church, with a specific message, with a warning, is Ephesus. Revelations 2.2. 2. To Ephesus, I know thy works and thy labor. That's good. God knows how hard they worked. I think he knows how hard we work. If we're sacrificing ourselves, our time, our energy, our talent for the kingdom, he knows it. He, he starts off by saying, I know how hard you're working. Now, the Ephesus church, let's go back, give you two seconds of history of this church. Acts chapter 19 tells us how this thing began. Hard-working followers, they made a spiritual impact on the great city of Ephesus. They, they've got an incredible history. The founder, St. Paul. Pretty good, pretty good founder. The leaders, the pastors in this church's history, they've had the gifted Apollos. They've had the loving and tender Timothy. Talk about leadership heritage. They had to endure in a tough city. Ephesus is the center of the goddess of Diana. Now the temple of Diana was one of the wonders of the world back then. The temple of Diana literally had scores of eunuchs, thousands of priestesses, heralds, flutes, players of music, drunken, drunkenness, sexual debauchery, the whole thing. Ephesus is a pagan city, and this church has to work in a pagan city. And we find out the church is a great church. Great beginning, doctrinally sound, hardworking. But there's a fatal flaw. Revelations 2.4. Despite all that, nevertheless, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Thou lost thy first love. Love died at Ephesus, church. It had orthodoxy. It had activity without love. It missed the thing that Jesus said to Peter three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? 
Before we feed the sheep, we got to deal with that. Do you love me? No one can really be effective for Christ unless they're in love with Christ. First and foremost, the church at Ephesus in that great city, they began to carry out ministry without a great love for Jesus. I think you could do that. Don't volunteer. Don't help the church to help the church. Do it because you're in love with Christ. Because when you attempt performance without love, it just doesn't fit. It's not kingdom performance. Remember kingdom? Living my life in such a way that God receives glory. It's a love thing. God receives glory. It is a love thing. I'm serving out of love. So here at Ephesus, we've got to look at ourselves. Is my enthusiasm still there? Am I, am I serving Christ or am I doing things for him? Am, am I serving Christ without loving Christ? If that's the case, thanks for your help, but you missed the purpose. See, without love, it's eventually mechanical. And God called this church back to its great love. Verse 5, I'll remove thy lampstand if you repent. They didn't. History tells us the church at Ephesus died. That great orthodox historic church went out of existence. It lost its first love. Second church he talks to is Pergamum. Going down to verse 13 of chapter 2. I know thy works and where thou dwell, even where Satan's seat is. We'll tell you about that in a second. And thou hold fast my name. Thou hast not denied my faith. Even in those days where in Antipas when my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwells. Again, he knows you're working. He knows where you are. This is a tough place too. Satan's throne is there. Pergamum was a center of worship to Zeus, who was the ultimate of the Greek gods. He's the head man of Greek gods. And here they built an altar to him in the shape of a gigantic throne, a gigantic chair. So when Scripture talks about the throne of Satan, the seat of Satan, maybe a translation says Satan's seat, it's referring to this altar throne to Zeus. Plus, Pergamum had their own god. Asclepius was there. He is known as the god of healing. He's also associated with snakes. The medical school was the temple of Asclepius, right here in Pergamum. And non-poisonous snakes covered the floor of the temple at the beginning part. People, when they were ill, they believed the snakes had a healing power to them somehow. You would go and lay on the floor, and you would allow the snakes to, to crawl all over you. They thought this led to healing, and after that, then they would see a healer. Yeah, you thought your waiting room and your doctor was a little nerve-wracking. You're mad because they don't have magazines. Think about it. You would go lay on the floor and you'd be covered with snakes. And by the way, the modern symbol for med medical has snakes wrapped around it. That's going back to the Greek mythological god of healing, Asclepius. So this was not an easy city either. This is a pretty pagan place. And even though he says, I know you're working hard, I know it's a tough spot, I get that, we got a problem. Go down to verse 14. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam, Old Testament character, led the nation of Israel into idolatry. The attitude of the world began to infiltrate the church at Pergamum. It began to copy the style of the world. They, they forgot 2 Corinthians chapter 6. What communion does light have with darkness? 
It's amazing how the same charge can be made against churches today. We begin to copy the world a little bit. We begin to back off a little bit. For instance, if the world view changes on family, then we'll redefine it too. Churches get caught up in world bandwagons. Notice there's an order. There's a narrative being spun here. What happens first? You lose your first love. Eventually, when that happens, you're going to copy the world. These are dominoes. Now, the third domino to fall in the narrative is the church at Thyatira. Go down to verse 19, chapter 2. I know thy works. Again, he knows. Charity, service, and faith, and patience. And thy works to the last be more than the first. Again, you ever notice none of these churches are lazy. Every one of them worked hard. Every one of them were performing a ministry at some level. But, and there's always that but, isn't there? Thyatira tolerated sin. Now the floodgates are open. We move down to the next verse, chapter 2, verse 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a priestess, to teach, seduce my servants, to commit fornication, to eat things that are sacrificed to idols. They'd been victimized by a false teacher, and they allowed sin to come in. A woman by the name of Jezebel seduced the people of that church. They began to idol worship. Idolatry in those days always involved sexual immorality. So the people of Thyatira were involved in the filth of the world. How patient God is with Jezebel. Verses 21 and 22. He says, I will give her a space to repent. Then we find out, verse 23, she didn't. And all that will follow her will experience her eternal death. Interesting wording. God does not tolerate a sinning church. He will judge harshly a sinning church. Thyatira tolerated sin. They didn't deal with it. They didn't confront it. They compromised instead. The church is in order. And notice it's like dominoes. It's a descending order. It's Satan's design to damage the church. Number one, you lose your first love. Then you're willing to compromise and copy the world. And now the third domino, the floodgates are open and sin. The fourth church is the city at Sardis. Now, Sardis is one of those great cities in the ancient world. These are not small towns. And today, as you think about it, some cities are known for something. In other words, if I would say the mecca of gambling, you would say Las Vegas. If I, if I would say movie stars and, and where movies are made, you would think Hollywood. Yeah, if I, if I say uh, automobiles, you might think Detroit. So certain, certain cities tend to be known for a particular thing. Back then, in the first century, if I say, okay, let me throw out a word. Incredible wealth. A word, two words. Incredible wealth. You'd go, oh, Sardis. It was an incredibly wealthy place. And back then, those cities, those walled cities, they didn't have mayors, they had kings. And, and part of the cliche the king of Sardis, mayor, was uh, Croatius. And part of the cliche, if someone had a lot of money, they go, oh, he thinks he's rich as Croatius. I mean, this was, this was a money neighborhood. This was a money zip code, my friend. And so here's this church trying to survive among people who don't need things, who don't need Christ with anything. I mean, here's a church trying to survive in an incredibly wealthy city. And so Revelation chapter 3, now we move into the next church. Verse 1. And unto the city of, excuse me, and to the angel of the church of Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and seven stars. I know thy works. Isn't it amazing he says that to every single church? And thou hast a name thou livest, but art dead. 
Again, works. This place is working. They're trying. They got programs. And he says they're dead. All they have is form. They know how to produce. They know how to go through the motions. Probably the people who attend this church are upscale people because there are no downscale people in Sardis. They know how to run businesses. They know how to run things. Things are functioning. It's just dead. That's what happens when a church can reduce itself to a series of activities and programs. They had classes for the kids. They had stuff for young people. They had stuff for adults. Everyone was busy. But God wasn't in it. That's what in life. It's like Samson running around without his hair. Whole lot of energy, not much production. Notice, he says to Sardis, I know your works. It, it, it blows my mind how all these churches, I wish he said, you know, you were lazy. If you could just do a little bit more. He never says that. Here he says, I know you're working, but you're dead. That kind of frustrates me a little bit. We can work hard and have no spirit. We can work hard, and that becomes like our God. We can work hard and pat ourselves on the back because we're sacrificing our time, talents, and energy. And the sequence, remember, it's dominoes. There's a narrative being played out. These churches are chosen in the order specific. What happens first in the, in the demise of a church, you lose that first love, that passion. Then you begin to compromise and copy the world. Then sin rushes in that you tolerate. Your spiritual life is choked and you're dead. You're saying, but there's a fifth church. Where do you go down from there? I mean, come on. The bottom of the barrel, Laodicea. God tells them, you know, I wish you were something. I wish you were hot or cold. Nothing. Revelation 3.15, it's brutal. Talking to Laodicea. I know thy works. Again, these people are working. That thou art neither hot, cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Later on, he says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. He's talking to a church that's working. Now, cold here has an interesting translation in, in the Greek. It would really be translated for us indifferent, blasé, no concerned. In other words, people are going to hell. Eh, whatever. It is what it is. Your neighbors, your family, maybe even your friends. And the church is basically, what can we do? We're doing our own thing. I got my friends in my church. I love that hour that we're together. It's a phony church. He says, you are so unconcerned. You're not even a church. I spit you out of my mouth. This is the bottom of the spiral down. So the narrative is kind, of, kind of makes you think, doesn't it? There are two positive and five negative. I worry about those numbers. Could it be those percentages are the same today? Do they really represent of every seven churches, only two are effective? That kind of makes you think. All seven were workers. Could it be that that also represents a reasonable percentage of what's happening in churches today? Two of every seven are actually places of kingdom. Two of every seven are actually churches alive. You see what God's warning us about. He's not pulling punches. The church at Ephesus went out of existence. They lost their first love. And when that happens, eventually you begin to copy the world. People don't come to worship, pray, study, be challenged, be encouraged. They want to be entertained. And yes, don't make a mistake here. A goal here is not to be boring. But if you think that is the goal, you, you, you misunderstand what we're trying to accomplish. 
And that leads to the next domino. The church will tolerate sin and copy the style of the world. Finally, it becomes satisfied with, with its material riches. It has nothing. It's defeated. And of course, the last domino, when you're defeated, you really don't care who's lost. But we have our friends in the church. This is the design of Satan for how he destroys churches all through time. Whether it's the year 90, when this was about written, or 2020. This is what he's designed. God has laid out, this is what we guard against. This is what we fight against. This is where the war is for the, for the church as a whole. The seven churches in Revelation. He chose those seven and that order because it's a narrative. It's the precise order of a church backsliding from sin. But as you think about it, it's also the precise order for an individual to turn their back on God. They came to Christ. There was excitement. There's something new, something alive in my life. But then you kind of get mellow. You lose that first love. Next thing you know, you're kind of compromising and rationalizing. Then sin begins to rush in because we tolerate. That chokes off our spiritual life and we're just here. We're not hot or cold, but we're here. Woo. Again, it kind of makes you think. So am I on that track? Is one of those dominoes all and all and all kind of me? Without realizing? Because things happen so subtly over, over a period of time. Is one of those tracks me? Okay, we've gone full circle. The five churches that, that got a warning and the order. Let, let's go back to the two winners. Because that, that's what we want to emulate. Samaria and Philadelphia. They're called out because they were the two there's preservatives there. There's power there. And, and, and the one-two punch seems to be evangelism married to persecution. Evangelism. Drive to take Christ to the world. Your workplace, your school, at all costs. It is a passion. I love the definition of passion. Personal energy. Think about that. What is your energy? What just lights you up? Personal energy. That's your, that's your passion. If you talk to somebody for a long time, you could probably find out what their, what their passion is. Because sooner or later, they're going to want to talk about that. When I do, back when I was allowed before COVID, I always felt like if I do a visitor call, because I, I would call on the visitors, if I get in your living room five, for five minutes, I can know your passion. Because if you got a kid who's in sports and those pictures are all over the wall, I got gotcha. you. I know what you want to talk about. If there's a grand piano in the middle of that living room, I got gotcha. you. I know what you want to talk about. Your passion is what you want to talk about. It's where your personal energy is. Evangelism is, is that preservative for the church where Christ is our passion to reach out to somebody else. Persecution. Taking Christ at all costs. Finding the hurting, the spiritually lonely, the damaged families, meeting them with the gospel of hope at all costs. When we stand with Philadelphia and Samaria, we stand. If we line up anywhere with the other five, we fall. But to all seven, God began with the words, I know you, I know where you are. I like that. He says that to us. He says, I know what you're going through. I know it's not easy. 
I know what you're going through. That was a theme to every single one of those churches. I know the city you're in. I know the obstacles you face. I know your hard works. So, the, the provocative question is obvious, isn't it? To the angel of real life community, write this. What would he write? It becomes provocative because there's an angel encouraging, blessing, strengthening us. Remember the series on spiritual warfare? There is an angel over the church in every single one of these churches that was written to an angel. There is a protective presence of Christ through an angel to hear. To the angel of real life community, here's what you write. Here's the good. Here's where I'm nervous. And frankly, to the angel of Gene Tanner, here's what you write. What would, what would your name to the angel of you? Are you somewhere on those dominoes? Because it's subtle. Satan's not stupid. It happens almost without recognizing it. Sometimes it takes a long time because it just eases into each step of falling away. Where am I? Who am I? The church has got to respond to this. But individually we have to respond to this because as we all respond to this individually wisely, it helps build the church up collectively. You say, you know, Gene, we're, we're in between. I mean, come on. We're in between. We had a pastor. We got this old guy for a while. And we're getting close to another pastor. This is the oasis. We're in between. No, you're not. You're a church. You're a power. You're the only hope of this world is the church. You're not in between. This is not let's take some time off. We have to keep going forward in Christ. Or else we end up like one of those five churches somewhere on the domino that Satan has designed for churches. The churches of Revelation were chosen specifically and chosen with an order because it's a narrative. Let's stand together this morning. Father, we want to be challenged we want worship to be entertaining. I, I don't think you can challenge anybody if they're bored. We want it to be enjoyable. Your word says, I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. This is a place of joy. This is a place of friendship. This is a place of community. At the same time, challenge us to realize the biggest picture of all this is a place of kingdom. Where we have a passion for you. And it drives us forward. And we're not living in between pastors. The passion doesn't go away. We are passionate about serving and worshiping and your presence. Father, if there's even someone here that's saying, part of that story hit too close to home. I mean, that, that, that cut to the bone there. Part of those dominoes in the narrative of backsliding away, I think that's where I am. God in heaven, rekindle a fire. Rekindle, challenge me, rekindle a fire today before another domino falls. I thank you for the clarity and power of your word. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. I, I always like to give you a, at least an idea of what we're going to do. Next Sunday, 
You ever been lonely? I'm not talking about kind of homesick. I'm talking about lonely in your soul. Lonely in a crowd. And, and we, we've been pretty challenging the last few weeks. I, I think we need an uplift and encouraging next Sunday. Jesus speaks specifically if you've ever or maybe now are incredibly lonely. It's so encouraging news about Jesus talks to someone who's hurting with loneliness. It's encouraging. It's uplifting. I'm excited for next week. But now is now. Let's continue to worship.